dear listener, and welcome to Late of the Rings, a new podcast dedicated to the Lord of the Rings, the card game. My name's John, and here's my co-host. I haven't thought of anything funny to say about him. Here's Emery. Good afternoon, John. Good afternoon to you, sir. I feel very bad that I didn't think of anything uh, stupid to call you. Never mind. I'm seeing that as a positive. <laughs> you, I think you've gr- begrudgingly grown some respect for me over the last couple of weeks. No, 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 no. <laughs> just, just bad planning. Just bad planning. <laughs> oh, dear. So here we are. Here we are. Episode four. We've done it. So um, how have you been? Not too bad. Not too bad. I guess we're sort of making a habit of this, but just in case anyone's listening later, <laughs> we're still in coronavirus lockdown I've, what have i been doing same kind of stuff just playing the game a bit i've been watching some telly oh watching some movies oh doing a bit of walking careful and that's really about it and some quizzes with friends <laughs> <laughs> and that's literally it i think i haven't been invited to any of your quizzes i'll uh i'll try i'll, I'll try not to take offense oh uh, that's because i'm trying to uh, buy myself a chance of winning, <laughs> surrounding myself with idiots who are even more stupid than I am. <laughs> There's a compliment in there somewhere, I think. Yes. <laughs> I like to be a big big fish or a medium-sized fish in a very small pond. Very wise. <laughs> How about yourself, John? Um, yeah, well, obviously, same deal with the with the lockdown. Um, yeah, not a lot. I, I'm actually pretty tired. Um, I've been spending a lot of late nights playing Lord of the Rings, which is good. But actually, uh, we'll, we'll come to come to why later when we start talking about our uh, our journey along the Anduin. Um, and oh my, I have two cats, and they are completely into spring mode. So they have decided now that four fifteen in the morning is playtime. So I've been staying up late playing Lord of the Rings and then being woken up about three hours later by two hairy terrorists. That's outrageous behaviour. <laughs> is playtime that involves you? Uh, by running over me, yes. <laughs> you can't keep the door shut? Uh, or would they just scratch, scratch at the door? It would be worse than you could imagine. Armageddon <laughs> in, the, in the household. <laughs> Um, and yeah, other than that, I mean, yeah, so I'm, I'm actually pretty exhausted, but, um, I don't know, turn me 90 degrees <laughs> and I'll be ready for action. Be refreshed. <laughs> refreshed and ready. No, ready, ready. <laughs> I always get that wrong. <laughs> okay. We have quite a lot to fit into today. So, um, just to let people know what we're, what we're going to focus on, we're going to take a look at the core set cards the final two spheres we're gonna we're gonna take a look at tactics and we're also going to sort of fill in the gaps in the spirit sphere because we we covered a lot of those cards in episode one um so i'm hoping we can actually uh, get them both covered today and then i think we're going to share our experiences as we both returned to the anduin for the uh, second quest in the core set journey along the anduin which uh oh boy have i got some tales <laughs> It's a goodie, the end to it. Oh, it's what a quest! It's it's a wonderful quest, but um, yeah. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves on that one. So, uh, should we jump straight straight into it? Great, let's do it. Okay, so we are going to be talking. Oh, should we do tactics or spirit first? 
I think um, should we start with tactics? Things we haven't really touched on. Yeah, sure. Too much. Yeah, and it and it's a great fun sphere. I mean, um, just a, an overview. Tactics is the sphere with all the guys that hit orcs and baddies. I love tactics. <laughs> Such <laughs> yeah. There's an inner violence to you, John, isn't there? Which <laughs> comes out when we play these games. <laughs> Yeah, I like to avoid confrontation, which is a plus point and a, and a minus point in my personality, I think. Um, yeah, so, so we'll, we'll, we'll start with the heroes, as, as we do. We have two of our big-named Middle-earth heroes here. We have Gimli and Legolas. Um, should we start with Gimli? Yeah, sure. I mean, Gimli was one of the first guys that I used... Uh, and I, actually, he's, he's a real go-to for me. If, whenever I'm doing a tactics, he'll often be in with a shout of getting in for deck, to be honest. Yeah. Okay, so just, just to read him out. So this is Gimli. He is a hero. He's a dwarf noble warrior. He has a starting threat of 11. Um, he has two willpower. He has two attack. He has two defense. And he has a nice high five hit points. And he has a, an ability which says Gimli gets plus one attack for each damage token on him. <laughs> yes, and I think when we go into some of the cards later, we'll see how valuable that ability is. Yeah, with a, with a little bit of thought, you can really beef Gimli up to become uh, a, a super attacker, basically. I mean, he, he, can, he can be a one-man army. Yes, that's a White Stripes... Almost sung. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if if you get Gimli into sort of souped up mode, yeah, he's immensely powerful. Um, well, should we? Because we don't like to do everything just uh, by the book here. Should we? Should we just jump straight into how we could? You might look at souping him up. Yeah, totally. Okay, so there's a there are a couple of cards inside tactics which are gonna are gonna help you, Gimli, but um, help you, Gimli. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there's three or four actually, aren't there? Yeah. So, so just 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 to uh, just to recap, so he Gimli will get plus one attack for every damage token on him, and he has hit points of five. So obviously, the best way to increase this uh, ability is to give him more hit points so you can get more damage on him so one card that can really help you with that is the citadel plate which is an attachment it does cost four which is pretty pricey but it's a, it's an item and it's a piece of armor and it says this attached to a hero restricted attached hero gets plus four hit points yeah there you go that's that get that on gimli and you've got yourself nine hit points if you wanted to you could take him all the way up to eight points of damage on him if you were feeling a little bit uh, a little bit risky a little bit brave keeping on the brink of death and then this bad boy will be hitting for 11 yeah well 10 10 because <laughs> he would be dead <laughs> you're absolutely right but you can make him it for 11 but we'll come on to that in a second I think Citadel Plate with Gimli is just a fantastic combination. So you obviously you have to get him damaged first for this ability to come into play. But that's not actually too hard <laughs> to do. An undefended attack or two is um, often a way to do it. Yeah, once he's got the armor on, an undefended attack, whack him right up. Even if you get a nasty shadow card, you, you can usually survive it. And then the next thing you know, 
uh, those enemies aren't going to know what hit them. Um, you mentioned that there was a, a another couple of ways to get him some more uh, attacking points. Do you want to? Uh, yeah, sure. So there's um, a couple more attachments, so weapons to go with his with his armor. I guess the most powerful one for Gimli is the Dwarven Axe. Uh, that costs two. It's an item, weapon, attached to a hero, restricted. Attached hero gets plus one attack, plus two instead if attached hero is a dwarf, which clearly, clearly, <laughs> which Gimli <laughs> clearly is. Um, so straight away, that's, you know, if you're hitting for 10 because you've got damage and a citadel plate on Gimli, and suddenly you're hitting for 12 with a dwarven axe as well. So again, immensely powerful. Only costs two. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think that's gold dust for, for Gimli as well. Absolutely. So the Citadel Plate and the Dwarven Axe are both restricted, like you say. But if you could just get those two items on Gimli, I mean, you'll, you'll need to save up. But once he's there, then you don't even really need to think about uh, having anyone else to attack in your, in your, uh, in your team. Gimli is just going to be able to take out nearly every creature you're going to be faced with. In, certainly in the core set yeah um the, the other attachment which isn't as powerful in terms of attacking but does have a really good um ability as well is the blade of gondolin which costs one that's also an item weapon attached to a hero restricted uh the attached hero gets plus one attack when attacking an orc uh, so that's all it does for you in terms of attacking so it has to be an orc enemy and you only get plus one but it's also got a response which is after attach hero attacks and destroys an enemy, place one progress token on the current quest. So what you could do with Gimli, if you think, well, I'm already hitting for uh, an enormous amount with, because I've got the Citadel plate and I've got some damage on him, and there happen to be a whole bunch of orcs around, and I, I need to be questing as well while I'm while I'm fighting. This is actually a pretty neat way of just getting some additional progress tokens on the uh, on the quest. Obviously, that's also very useful for other heroes. Yeah, exactly. You you read my mind there because yes, that would work with Gimli, but I think the Blade of Gondolin is particularly suited for Gimli's soon-to-be best friend, a certain elf of, of, <laughs> of the name of Legolas. So jumping back to the heroes, and then we'll jump back to the Blade of Gondolin. We have we have Legolas. He has a, a threat of nine, starting threat of nine. Uh, he has willpower for one. He hits for three, which is very nice indeed. He only has one defense, and he has a, a nice average four hit points. He's a noble sylvan warrior. He has ranged, so if you're playing two players, he can fight across the table. I guess that's his bow and arrow for you. Um, and he has a response. After Legolas participates in an attack that destroys an enemy, place two progress tokens on the current quest. Now, we, we, we did mention uh, this last week because I think Legolas was uh, featured in, in, the, in the fact of the week. So we did already discuss, um, what, I can't remember what specifically we were discussing about the... Um, it was, was it whether you pr uh, put progress tokens on the current quest or on the current location? Ah, uh, that's right. Absolutely. Yeah. So we've covered that. So the progress tokens always go on the location if there is an active location. Um, and then, if not, directly onto the quest card. So Legolas is hugely useful if you are playing a tactics deck and you don't have much in the way of questing ability. So let's say you're not, not playing with a tactics spirit, for instance. Um, if you have particularly fighty quests, you can use Legolas's ability to great aplomb to uh, take out enemies and still make progression. 
Um, and then just to jump back to where we were then on the Blade of Gondolin. So just a reminder, it has a response that after the attached hero attacks and destroys an enemy, place one progress token on the current quest. So it's kind of a mini Legolas effect. And it also gives plus one attack when attacking an orc. So in theory, if Legolas is taking out orcs, he would be hitting for four and then placing three progress tokens on either the, the active location or the current quest. Um, one important thing to note here is even though the effect is essentially the same, adding progress tokens to the current quest, the two effects happen simultaneously as responses. But as a player, you would get to decide what order those responses happened. So the reason that's important is, in theory, you could clear quests and then place further tokens. Does that make sense? Because... Um, yeah. If you chose, if you needed only one quest token to finish a quest, you could, in theory, clear that one and then immediately place two on the next quest, which would never normally be possible because at the end of each quest card, um, any excess, um, any excess progress would normally be lost. But as you are doing this as two separate motions, you could, in theory, clear a quest with either one from the Gondolin Blade or two from Legolas, depending on what was needed, and then still spend your extra progress onto the next uh, onto the next quest. And of course, that works with locations as well. Yeah, because you haven't triggered that response yet. Absolutely, yeah. You trigger one response, that gets you to the end of a quest or what have you, and then, and then after that, then you trigger the other response. Yeah, as soon as a quest card is completed, it immediately um, moves to the next quest, no matter where you are in the game. So, And then as soon as you've got to that point in the quest you pick up exactly where you left off. So you still have a response to trigger. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't think I've ever come across that scenario, actually, but it's good to know. Yeah. Worth, definitely worth bearing in mind. It's definitely worth bearing in mind that you would get to decide at what point you put those tokens on. So you can find different ways to make them to make it work in your favor. Yeah. It doesn't happen that often, like you say, but it, it, bear it in mind. Um, so yeah, so really, if you're looking at our two classic heroes here and their respected attachments, so for me, I, that would be Citadel Plate and Dwarven Axe on Gimli and then uh, the Blade of Gondolin on Legolas, I think you have two incredibly powerful um, combat uh, heroes in Inside Tactics. It, but you do need to get the resources together to get all this on because, I mean, Citadel Plate... Um, costing four is is certainly not a walk in the park. You need to be saving up for two rounds and only be getting that on there and not doing anything else. And that can be a, that is not always possible. Yes, that's true. Especially as we there's other cards which you may need to use as well, which we'll be looking at too. Um, okay, so the third hero is another dwarf, and uh, I mentioned last week that Fantasy Flight chose to sort of make up some heroes in this and and. Um, I mentioned it's because there was a, a sort of a lack of female characters in the source material of Lord of the Rings, so they they felt they needed to write the balance and uh, create characters. Uh, Berevor, I think it was we were talking about. Um, now, there aren't a distinct lack of named dwarf characters in Lord of the Rings, yet Fantasy Flight have made one up, and it is. I I didn't know it was such a convincing name. <laughs> Yeah, well, it really. It, I thought that was just one of the dwarfs that was mentioned. <laughs> Valin, son, son of Theon. 
Yeah, it, it absolutely <laughs> makes sense. It's just, uh, no, they just made him up. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, my boy Farland. I, I love this guy, by the way. Oh, me too. But why don't, why, why don't you talk us through it? Okay, yeah. So he's got a um, starting threat of, of nine. He's got one willpower. He hits for two. He's got two shields. So not amazing stats when you look at him like that. Uh, and he's got four hit points. But he's incredibly useful. So he's a dwarf warrior. And his ability is, while Farlin is committed to a quest, deal one damage to each enemy as it's revealed by the encounter deck. Now that can doesn't sound like a massive amount, but that can actually be unbelievably useful. There's a couple of enemies out there who've only got one hit point, takes them out straight away without them doing being able to do anything negative to you at all. And, of course, one damage can, can actually make the world of difference once you start engaging some of these guys. Um, and Farlin actually has played a big part in my experience of Journey Along the Anduin as well, which we'll come on to later. Yeah, I think I should have uh, heeded your advice and taken Farlin along with me down the river because um <laughs> oh boy no I'm, I'm laughing i know what's coming uh, anyway but um no he's incredibly powerful and you you touched on it there that that uh, he can take out enemies before they do anything bad to you and i think and you're right and i think there's one thing worth pointing out that certain one hit point enemies have the surge keyword on it and thalin's ability actually kicks in before the surge can trigger so those guys are killed before they even get a chance to surge so that can be incredibly useful um this was quite some debate actually because surge and other keywords such as that are said to trigger before any other um when revealed effects or anything like that from the encounter deck there's lots there's been lots of discussion about why thalin would actually affect that before surge would trigger and i think if memory serves it's all to do with the fact that it says that it deals one damage to each enemy as it is revealed by the encounter deck not when they're revealed so they don't get a chance to even land in your staging area as it's revealed it's gone but to counteract that you may remember last week i was talking about um the difference between adding enemies to the staging area and revealing enemies to the staging area when we were talking about um a passage through Mirkwood. It is important to note that if if you are playing Thalin and the quest says to add enemies to the staging area, Thalin's ability would not trigger. Because they do need to be revealed. Yes. Correct. And if you happen to to complete a quest and Thalin's exhausted but you're not in the quest phase anymore, then also it still wouldn't trigger because he's not committed to the quest anymore at that point. Absolutely. Yeah, it's only during the quest phase. Correct. Oh, good. You, you, look at you. <laughs> As each week goes by. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. That's good. Love it. Um, okay, so actually, three very strong heroes. Actually, I, I, I really like them all. And I just think the, the the thing is, when you read these, when you first open your core set, you think, oh, this these guys are going to get me through every quest. And as we've mentioned several times already, they are very strong, but they... They can't get you through the first quest. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, maybe they can, and we haven't figured it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they, 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 they are incredibly powerful, but they do need some backup uh, from the other spheres for sure. Okay, so should we look at uh, some of the allies which are joining these uh, 
these heroes on their quest? Uh, yeah. Um, did we did we touch on the Gondorian spearmen before? Yeah, I think we mentioned him right back in episode one about some of our favorite um, oh, yes. favorite initial cards. But let, let, let's quickly mention him one more time. Okay, so Gondorian spearman, he costs two. Uh, willpower of zero, he hits for one. Shield of one, only one hit point. He's Gondor warrior, he's sentinel. And his response is, after Gondorian spearman is declared as defender, deal one damage to the attacking enemy. So this can be actually incredibly useful. So what I, what I found with this guy is um, I mean, there, there are so many different sort of situations you can talk about here. Sometimes you just want to declare him as a defender, get one additional damage onto somebody who's attacking you because you know that you're going you're gonna to need that one additional damage to get rid of that guy on that particular go. Or sometimes he's only got one damage left. One hit point will kill him. And in those scenarios, Gondorian Spearman is fantastic because as soon as you declare him defender, the attacker dies and the Gondorian Spearman is still alive. Uh, so he can be extremely useful yeah. uh, in those kind of scenarios, especially combined with someone like Tharlin, who's already done one bit of damage. So imagine you've got a situation where somebody's got two hit points, they get revealed by the encounter deck, Tharlin hits him for one, then you declare the Gondorian Spearman's defender, boom, that guy's dead without him ever attacking you. Yeah, I think Gondorian Spearman and Thalin together like that is is a, is a great combination. I do I do love what you just said there about if you have um, an enemy that just happens to have one hit point left, and you use the Gondorian Spearman because I just love love the idea of it thematically that this guy is just yeah. pointing his spear upwards and cowering, knowing he's about to get squashed to bits by a troll. And hey, he fell on my spear. <laughs> I'm alive. That's why it's called the Spearman. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, no, he's, he's he's very good. He only costs two, which I think is very fair cost for, for this guy. Yeah. I think it's just, just right. Well, I say fair. I think that's the correct cost for him from my experience. So he, he often gets, well, pretty much always gets uh, room in my deck if I'm putting in tactics allies. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, the, the other two cost ally we have here is the veteran axe hand. Uh, he's a dwarf warrior, and he has a cost of two. And he has zero willpower. He will hit for two. He has a shield for one. And he has two hit points. And he has no abilities. He's just a guy. But he's great. Everyone knows where they stand with veteran accent. He's been around the block. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's he's great as well. And those, those, he hits for two. That can be extremely useful. And he can take three against him essentially yeah he hits for two and uh a shield for one and two hit points yeah he's he's, he's pretty solid for for just two resources i think yep he's another one who sees a lot of a lot of action in in my tactics uh decks for sure well with that in mind i'll tell you one who i don't think i ever play and that's the horseback archer who costs three and you see it's that it's that extra cost of just one that makes me go i'm not so sure about this guy uh so he, he's cost of three he has zero willpower again. So, so far, none of our allies have any willpower, which should be ringing some alarm bells of why it's so hard to get through any quests with just tactics. So, cost of three, zero willpower. Hits for two. Yeah. So, it's the same as the axe hand. Shield of one, same as the axe hand. Two hit points, same as the axe hand. But cost three. And so you go, well, he must have some pretty amazing um, abilities then. No, no. He's a Rowan Archer, and he has ranged. So if you're playing two-player, sure, he can help you out. Uh, or rather, he can help out your uh, your co-player. 
But I just don't see where the extra cost comes in. It's too expensive. I think it's exactly for that, isn't it? So if you are playing two-player, as you as you said, you know these guys aren't particularly great at questing. So if you've got a spirit deck where you've got some... Aren't particularly great. <laughs> zero, wow. zero, zero. Yeah, they're not the best. They're not the best. <laughs> but the spirit guys, on the other hand, in general, are good at questing, but don't aren't great at fighting. So if you are playing two-player and you have engagements whereby uh, some nasty enemies are engaging some of your spirit guys and there's no way for them to kill them, then actually this guy could come in pretty useful, I think. I mean, he hits for two. Uh, that could make make the difference at the end of the day, couldn't it? So, yeah, I mean, for me, I think you're right. Uh, just looking at it purely for tactics, solo, veteran accents over horseback archer every every single time. But could see a way, could could be useful in a two-player game, I think. Yeah, for sure, useful in a two-player game. But for me, I would rather just save my resources and just save up for that Citadel plate. I mean, and, and if you're talking about saving up resources, the uh, the last ally in tactics, you're going to need those resources. We've got Bayon. He gets a lot of mentions in our podcast, Bayon. Um, so he costs six. Oh, God. Here we go again. So <laughs> I know what you're going to say. <laughs> So no 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 judgment yet. So he costs six. Um, he can quest for one. He has one willpower. Woohoo! Um, he will hit for three though. Very nice too. He has a shield of three. Very nice too indeed, and a massive six hit points. So this guy is tough, and he has an action. Bayon gains plus five attack until the end of the phase. At the end of the phase in which you trigger this effect, shuffle Bayon back into your deck. Limit once per round. Now, you're going to expect me to say, yeah, but he costs one more than Gandalf. And <laughs> and you'd be right. I do think that. But where I do see a place for Bayon is in conjunction with sneak attack. If you're playing a tactics and leadership uh, dual deck. Because that action is sensational. If if you're in trouble, you can sneak attack Bayon in. You can trigger his action for plus five attack, giving Bayon an attack of eight. And then, of course, with sneak attack, at the end of the phase, you return the ally back to your hand. Now, the action on Bayon says, at the end of the phase in which you trigger this effect, shuffle Bayon back into your deck. But again, this is one of these lovely times where both actions happen at the same time. So you as a player will get to decide which order you do it in. And I, I absolutely recommend you put him back in your hand and not into your deck. So this was actually the card where I first figured out about the whole sneak attack bit. So I thought, well, you know, how, how am I going to afford this guy if he costs six? And I did precisely what, what what you said. I had a leadership and tactics deck. And it made me realize how powerful sneak attack was, especially if you've got a couple. And you do it a couple of times in a row with this guy, whether you need to defend or attack. You know, he can take nine, essentially, three shield and six hit points. And he can hit for eight using his effect, which is pretty stunning. Of course, what you can do with Bayon, though, if he does cost six, but it, I guess it is also where... And I've, I've never done this, actually. But just looking at him now, it is probably worth bearing in mind that you know he has, he's got three shield and six hit points and can hit for three okay he costs six to get out if you can get him out there and involved 
you know, he's going to stay out there. Oh, yeah. And he's no. going to, you know, he'll be a very powerful ally to have there. And then if you're in dire straits and you did need to trigger his kind of atom bomb kind of effect, he can then, um, uh, you know, take out some serious enemy that you can't deal with any other way. I, I think, yeah, incredibly useful. And you might see him again. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you can afford him, he is good. Yeah, you see, you didn't expect me to say that, did you? Um, <laughs> Maybe it's only when it... Yes, I'll, I'll tell you why. Because if he costs five, you wouldn't have any time for him. Not at all, no. <laughs> because it's an odd number. <laughs> no, it's just a Gandalf Six is number. okay. Just a Gandalf number. About as best Gandalf's there. Nothing else is allowed to cost five. No. Far from Gandalf. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I like Bayonet a lot. Um, but he is expensive. And yeah. It's 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 tricky because uh, despite his overrated hospitality, yeah, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, if you could get him out either with sneak attack or with saving your pennies, he is uh, he is incredibly good. Okay, well we have been dotting around a little bit, so we have all the events to go through, and we have one more attachment. Should we just jump to the last attachment? Yeah, sure. Okay, so that's the uh, the Horn of Gondor, which is a unique attachment. So, as we've mentioned before, uh, that means only one of these can exist on the table at any one time. Uh, it only costs one, and it's an item, and it's an artifact. Um, and it states, attached to a hero, restricted. And it has a response. After a character leaves play... Ah, no. Now, this has been errated. So I'm reading this out. It says, after a character leaves play, add one resource to the attached hero's pool. Now, that's what the original card said. It actually now says, after a character is destroyed, add one resource to the attached hero's pool. So, well, either way, this is, this is a very good way of generating resource inside a sphere which doesn't generate much resource at all. But you can imagine, before it was errated, you could sort of cheat it a little bit with sneak attack it, when people were popping in and out you were just generating resource which I do not think is what the Horn of Gondor was designed to do I mean it sounds like a little bit of abuse of the horn if you ask me so what it sounds like to me is how it worked before was the Horn of Gondor before it got split into <laughs> now we got you got a broken horn it only does half of what it could do before <laughs> But if you think if you think thematically, you blew the Horn of Gondor to well. I mean, it, 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 it's a call to aid, isn't it? Was it a call to aid or a call to arms? Call for aid. Call for aid. So, yeah. Well, then, if someone if someone's just jumping in and out of play, are you going? Where are you going? Yeah, come back, come back. So, like, yeah, it kind of still makes sense, but um, now it's like, oh no, someone's died. It's like the bugle of Gondor. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> so actually, I think they got it right the first time, but maybe it was just too powerful. Like you say, it was you could too easy to, to um, build up resource very fast. I guess. Yeah, there are um, a few tactics allies that are going to come out in the first um, cycle, which make a whole point of popping in and out of play. Um, so, like you say. It could easily be abused in that way. You have to confiscate the the horn because someone's blowing it too often. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you can't, if you can't be trusted with the horn of Gondor, <laughs> I'm going to take it away from you. 
And that's what happened, dear listener. Okay, so, so worth bearing that one in mind. Yeah, I just, I just had a look at my cards, actually. And yes, it does say when a character is destroyed on the, on a new version. So new school. <laughs> okay, so should we have a quick look at the events then from Tactics? Where shall we start? Well, uh, there was one... Uh, earlier on, we were talking about how we increase or increase your attack strength and one of the events you can use for this is Blade Mastery, which costs one. And the action of this is choose a character, so you can use this on anybody, until the end of the phase, the character gains plus one attack and plus one shield. So this is a good little sort of booster. So it only counts for one, uh, but it can be it can be important. So use the plus one shield, obviously, to, to save that character if they're on the verge of, 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 of dying and then the plus one attack if you desperately need to get rid of someone or they're on the verge of dying. Um, so this one, it's, it's a bit of a strange one, this, because I have put it in my deck fairly often. So I always think, oh, that's going to be really useful. But I, have, I always end up underutilizing it a bit. I always think there's always something else I'm saving up for, which I think, oh, I'll just save up for that and might be might be better. So I don't know what your experience is with it, but I haven't, I haven't done tactics loads and loads, but that's been my experience so far. Well, it's it's funny you should say that because actually I have exactly the same experience with it. I I always think, oh, that's a good utility. I'm going to get that in my deck, and then I very rarely play it. Like you say, there's always something else I'd rather be putting that resource to. Um, now, coming up in in a few episodes' time, we're going to be discussing um, the the action windows and use of because it's something you mentioned to me in, in, in the week, and we're definitely going to schedule that in as, as, a, as a talking point. But with that in mind, I, I started looking into all the different action windows which are in the official rules. And an interesting one I found is after revealing shadow cards, you can perform actions before placing the damage on your defender. And that got me thinking about what uses I could find for that. And this is actually one card which leapt out at me that let's say you have a defender who you thought was going to take take an attack without an issue and then a, a shadow is revealed that gave that attacker a plus one attack or maybe even took the defense down of your defender. You could utilize the action window at the end of the reveal the shadow effect but before the damage is dealt and play Blade Mastery to give yourself that plus one shield to, in effect, save that ally or hero. Yeah, I think there's there, there are a few little nuances like this. Um, and yeah, we should definitely have a, a discussion about it, because I think when we had a very quick chat about it earlier in the week, I was actually thinking in my kind of newish, naive way, I said, well, what's the point of you know, half of these action windows, they don't seem they seem a bit pointless to me. It's almost like there's only a couple of places where you can't do actions. But then there are little scenarios and nuances when you start thinking about it a bit deeper, which might come into play. Um but yes, yeah, yeah, we should definitely have a more in-depth chat about that at, at some point. Yeah, we, and we will for sure, because I actually thought it was very a very interesting point that you brought up. But I just sort of reading that through now and just thinking about these sort of choice places when um because, because in the past, it's like I, I'd been revealing shadow effects and going, "Oh, well, that's that guy dead then." But then, without realizing that perhaps you could, even at that point, B 
boost your character to to the point of survival. But um, yeah, Blade Mastery, it's a utility, but I don't tend to use it. And it sounds to me that you don't either, really. I have used it, but not as not that often is what I'd is what I'd say. Um, well, I tell you what, let's go on to one event. Yeah, is it just worth mentioning as we were talking about action windows? One thing that is worth bearing in mind is that the how to play or learn to play, which comes with the version I have of the core set, um, doesn't make any mention of action windows at all. It's not even mentioned in there. The term action window doesn't exist in that learn to play document, which comes with the core set these days. Um, but you can find reference to it on the online rules. So if there are any players, new players who are a bit confused about action windows, etc. Um, I think it does say in that learn to play, oh, there's, here's a reference to where the rules can be found online. Actually, you do absolutely need to go and look at those rules to get a complete picture so I think the learn to play gives you an overview, but doesn't give you all the information you need to play the game properly. So you do need to look at those rules as well, which these days is a separate document. So uh, yeah, so before we talk about it in depth, probably just worth mentioning that now for any any new players who might be confused by any action window kind of discussion. <laughs> what, what is an action window? <laughs> yeah, no, I think that I think that's very that's a very valid point um, for sure. And yeah, I think this will actually be the basis of our of our discussion. Yeah. Um. Okay, so neither of us really too into our Blade Mastery, but there's one event card which I think we both know is key for the same cost. Cost of one, and that's Faint. Oh, yeah. It's a combat, act- <laughs> it's a combat action, and it says, it says, choose an enemy, engage with a player. That enemy cannot attack that player this phase. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, it was so... It was- Literally a lifesaver for your heroes. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a really powerful and useful card. And of of course, the plus side is you can do a feint, but you can still attack that enemy as well. So yeah. if you've got an enemy who's or an enemy which you can potentially kill that go or, or what have you, but you can't withstand an attack from him because he hits for such a large amount, feint is just an absolute godsend. Terrific card. I mean, it's not that flashy. But it, what it does, it does brilliantly. And as you say, it will save your life on many an occasion. Um, and with that in mind, there, there's a sort of sister card to Faint. Also costs one. And it's called Quick Strike. Um, and that has an action. Exhaust a character you control to immediately declare it as an attacker and resolve its attack against an eligible enemy target. Now, this is in essence doing the same job as faint because if you can kill that enemy as you just mentioned emery you could perform a quick strike and kill the enemy engaged with you before it gets a chance to attack you now of course if you don't kill it it will still get a chance to attack you straight away afterwards but one important thing to note on quick strike is that it's an action whilst faint is a combat action so faint you have to do during the combat phase but quick strike you can do at any time during the round so oh so it's another new one for me (laughs) (laughs) Um, yes a good point yeah but but you do have to bear in mind that the wording is any eligible enemy target so although you could perform a quick strike at any time 
the target would be engaged with you. The target would you'd have to be engaged with, yeah, at that point. Or you have an ability to attack somebody in the staging area or, or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. That that's exactly I think we I think we mentioned Quick Strike with Dune here um yeah. a couple of episodes back. And that would mean that you would be able to for instance use Dune here to attack in the staging area at any point because Dune here's ability is is constant. Yeah, on this card, and for me, a key difference between Quick Strike and Faint is that on Quick Strike it says exhaust a character you control to immediately declare it as an attacker. So if you can destroy that enemy just by one of your heroes or allies attacking it, then fine, that's that's great. Like so if you have a souped-up Gimli, you can just immediately destroy an enemy, perfect, before that enemy gets to attack. Faint can be used for particularly nasty enemies, or if you need to gang up a bunch of people to uh, destroy that enemy, then then you're going to want faint instead. Otherwise, that enemy is still going to be able to attack. Obviously, yeah, I think that's a I think that's a very good point. Another good thing about uh, quick strike not having to be used during combat, you could. Does that work? Well, you yeah, no, it doesn't really work. No, I was going to say you could you you could use it with Legolas to get past a quest before you even get to combat. Yeah, yeah, that works. No, yeah, no, yeah, I, you yeah. Could, yeah, yeah, so absolutely. No, and then and then you can quest on a new on. Yeah, you can. Yeah, when you commit to the quest, that counts towards the new objective. Absolutely. So yeah, so you could use Quick Strike to. Uh, so let's say you've uh, you've been in combat and then you've readied everyone in the refresh stage. And then you draw quick strike in the next round, and you only have uh, two progress to go on the current quest, and you're already engaged with an enemy that you know you could destroy with Legolas. You could play quick strike immediately. Legolas could destroy that enemy even before you start staging, and then that would put the progress tokens onto that current quest and move you directly onto the next quest card, or even win you the game. You could even you could even use use it during the refresh phase, I guess, because yeah. you ready you have an action window after you ready everybody. So if you've got that card, look at you just you're obsessed, but you're obsessed by action windows now, aren't you? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a whole new world. So that that action window right at the end of a refresh phase can actually be really useful. But again, something to discuss in the future. But there are it's it's quite cunning, I think, how you can use that one. Yeah, and I think this is one such. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Scenario. If you've already if you've already got Quick Strike in hand, yeah, you could have uh, used Legolas during the combat, uh, readied everyone during the refresh, and then Quick Strike with Legolas again, and it could literally win you the game there and then. One thing to bear in mind: if you did that, it does exhaust whichever character you use. Yeah, and if you do it after after the refresh phase, at the end of the refresh, he won't refresh. Of course, yeah. But let's say you let's say you've already used him once to attack, yeah. and then you just need a couple more, um, yeah, a couple exactly. more hits on an enemy. You could, and that would, and it, you know, it's going to win you the game. Then sure, just uh, ready Legolas, yep. play Quick Strike, kill the guy, win the game. Yep. Simple as that. <laughs> Simple as that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, those for me are the key. Uh, events in tactics but there are, there are a couple more which um Ooh, I've, I've got another key one which i use loads and it's swift strike ah interesting go ahead which is like it's similar to the gondorian spearman's ability we we're talking about earlier so this costs two so it's not mega cheap but this can be make or break i think this one for me so response 
after a character is declared as defender, deal two damage to the attacking enemy. So again, this is a way to destroy an enemy when it attacks you without having to lose any damage yourself. So if they've got one or two hit points remaining, you use this card. Then once they attack you, then that's the end of them. Or if you know that you need to get an additional two off them because the other guys who are going to attack that enemy don't quite have enough to destroy him. Yeah, so, so this can be really useful. So I, I really like this card. I've used this more and more as time's gone on. Yeah, I used to play Swift Strike a lot um, when I first had the game. And I think it fell out of favour with me a bit. And I think mostly because of the cost. I mean, you may say it's only two. But two cost events is actually quite high, you know, for a card which is, it, it, it's you just play it once and it's gone. Oh, yeah. I was saying it's, it's not cheap. Yeah, it's not a cheap one. No. If it was one, it's a real no-brainer kind oh, of card. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um. Okay, then there's there are there are three more events, and I must admit I'm not really fond of any of them. Let's go for the cheapest first. So cost of zero. I mean, I like the price. It stand together. This is the card I understand the least. Oh, in the game, <laughs> it's confused me so many times. Understand together. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Misunderstand together. <laughs> me <laughs> okay so cost is free a cost of zero <laughs> action choose a player that player may declare any number of his eligible characters as defenders against each enemy attacking him this phase so what don't you understand okay so you choose a player so i'm playing one player so so it's, so it's me okay that player may declare any number of his eligible characters as defenders against each enemy attacking him in this phase. I mean, I find that wording really confusing. So, if you if if you if you took away the word each and replaced it with an, would it make more sense to you? Yes. Yeah. So, so but even then, even then, it doesn't quite. I mean, what do you do? Do you, you add up everyone's sh- shield together? Yeah. So it's basically, you and then t- who gets you- the damage? Everybody or one person? That's a very that's a good point. Yes, but I, just, I, I, just, I just don't <laughs> understand this card. And, uh, and to be fair, I haven't taken the time to really look it up online either. <laughs> so it's my own fault. Ideally, if you're defending with lots of characters, there will be no damage to be dealt. But I would imagine the damage would just go on one character. Although maybe or, you or could can spread, you spread it. Can you maybe choose? you could spread it out? Um, we'll look this up afterwards. Um, but I must admit, I don't play this card at all because... Um, well, it could be useful on um, on the quests we're about to look at without revealing too much more about that. <laughs> uh, if, if, if you catch my drift. <laughs> yeah, I do. I mean, the thing is, I normally don't have that many characters available to defend anyway. That's true. That is That is very... That's a good point. So I don't often have spares where I'll just go, oh, I'll just put him in as a defender as well. So I think it's just such sort of a niche use that I, it doesn't find a place into my decks. But um, the, the, the replacing the word each with an was just to make the wording a bit nicer. But basically, this is saying that during this phase, you could do this multiple times. So let's say you had six characters out. You could use two of them to defend against this enemy, another two to against this other enemy, and the last two against that final enemy. So, yeah. But again, when's that going to happen? Yeah. <laughs> you still seem confused. 
No, no, I'm, I'm just thinking through when that could happen. I think there are scenarios, but again, you know, it's just, I think now I'm kind of a bit more clear on exactly what that card means. But I still need to find out what happens about damage. I'm going to look it up right now. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and has this been errated, this one? I don't think so. Okay. Okay, yeah. No, I've got it. I've got it here. Uh, it's in, it is mentioned in the fact as a rules clarification. Uh, rule clarification 1.04, if you are interested. Okay. Um, damage and multiple defenders. It states, if a player uses card effects to declare multiple defenders against a single enemy attack, the defending player must assign all damage from that attack to a single defending character. So, right. no, so you okay. can't spread the damage out. Right. So, you, you, so you just choose the character and they get all of the damage. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's clear then. It's clear, but it makes me like the card even less, to be honest. <laughs> you can't stand together. <laughs> I can't stand together. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay we've un- unraveled the mysteries of stand together i think yeah for sure so um the question everyone wanted us <laughs> <laughs> okay so we have two more events one pretty cheap one very expensive which way should we go well okay i i like the expensive one okay let's go with that one first and i've just thought about some good uses for the cheap one <laughs> okay great Shall we, start, shall we start with the expensive one? Go for it. Okay, so that's Thicket of Spears, which costs three. You must use resources from three different heroes' pools to pay for this card. Okay, so straight away, that's... That's pretty restrictive. Pretty restrictive. But in certain scenarios, this can be really useful, I think. So, action, choose a player. That player's engaged enemies cannot attack that player this face. Yeah, so it's a, it's a soup it's a super faint. It's a super faint, and if you're engaged with a bunch of enemies who you just think you're overwhelmed with enemies for whatever reason, this is a way to say, right, okay, we're gonna have one round whereby they're not gonna attack me at all, but I can attack them. So it's a way to even things up or get the advantage in a battle situation where where you're a bit sort of outnumbered or or overwhelmed or what have you. Um, or you've run out of feints. <laughs> yeah, you've, ru- you've you've run out of feints, and you're incredibly rich. But yeah. also, <laughs> yeah. but also, don't you think this is a little harsh putting this in the core set? Where, and correct me if I'm wrong, there is no way of spending a resource out of sphere. And what I mean by that is that at this current stage, there's no way for a leadership hero, for instance, to pay for a tactics event. Um, so in order to oh. use in order to use resources from three different heroes pools, you're going to need to be doing this with a pure tactics deck. Okay, so I've been cheating on this one as well. Ah, <laughs> lucky I haven't used it too much, but it has been, has been a couple of times. <laughs> See, I thought that the card. Okay, so again, it's a bit confusing, or maybe it isn't confusing. Maybe I've just um, read it with uh, an optimistic light. Um, <laughs> See, I thought, because what it says, it says you must use resources from three different heroes' pools to pay for this card. Correct. Right? But it's a tactics card. Correct. So the way I viewed this is 
you got to have a tactics hero to play it. Yeah. Yeah. And then whichever three heroes you have, you take one resource from each, boom, you pay for it. What I didn't think was... Good God, no. <laughs> no go on, go carry on. So, yeah, okay. But what I didn't think was, because it's a tactics card and you must use resources from three different heroes, that all of those heroes have to be tactics. Otherwise, it does seem a bit useless because how many quests are you really going to have where you've got three tactics heroes and no one else or a way of paying out of sphere which will come which which does come later yes but but to have this in the core set i think is uh oh that's why you're saying to have it in the core set because of the yeah, things so, that come across later it's so restrictive and is, is that correct do, do they all have to they all have to be able to pay for tactics yeah sure of course because it Let's let's say you're paying for a uh, let's say you're paying for a tactics ally and an ally costs two and you've got one uh, resource on Gimli and one resource on, on Legolas you would pay for that quite happily but you would never pay for that uh, tactics ally with one resource from Aragorn and one from Legolas. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So it's the, it's the same deal. Yeah, fair enough. So yeah, rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's thinking of spheres. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you haven't got a thicket of spears, maybe you've got a rain of arrows. Are these are these the official collective nouns for arrows and spears? Uh, <laughs> I thought it was a. I'm trying to think of what it could be. <laughs> what could it be? What could a collective noun for spears be? A spiky of spears. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Um, okay, so Reign of Arrows. It's a cost of one, and it says, exhaust a character you control with the ranged keyword to choose a player. Deal one damage to each enemy engaged with that player. So suddenly I'm thinking the horseback archer seems a bit more useful than previously thought. Yeah. Yeah. But then I mean, that's going to cost you three to get a horseback archer out. It's going to cost you four, isn't it? And then another one to use this each time you want to use it but you could use it up to three times in a in a game potentially or more potentially to do one damage to each enemy i mean that's that's useful and you can do that at any point yeah but one damage i mean it's, it's barely it's, it's it's tickling them most of these enemies it's, it's, it should well, be a, a, I don't know. I mean, a tickle of arrows they all count that's <laughs> one thing i think i've learned in this game is you think you look at something, you think oh, it only does one damage or whatever. But actually, it can make all the difference, and things can start to add up very quickly, depending on the situation. And that, that this is something that damages for one, it damages every enemy engaged with you. Yeah, that's imagine if you had a thicket of spears and a couple of these rain of arrows, <laughs> you could just get you could get rid of them. Yeah, you had a thicket of spears, a couple of these rain of arrows, and you were playing the Emery rules of pay from it from the bank. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, you know, you've got Gimli, Aragorn, and Farlin. Farlin's done his only one damage to each one as he comes out, a measly one. This does another measly one. Uh, before you know it, you've, um, you know, got rid of a bunch of these guys. I don't know. I'd, I'd have to see how that pans out in the real world. I think. Yeah, I mean, be be my guess, but for me, <laughs> Reign of Arrows is staying firmly in the binder. <laughs> um, okay, that's that's tactics. I mean, I I love the tactics sphere. It's it's great fun. Um, but I must say, mostly 
it's uh it's the heroes in the corset and then a, a few choice attachments and a, and a couple of choice uh events it, it it does have a few dud cards in my opinion but in general i, I think it's a great sphere it's probably I mean, lore is definitely still the one i've used at least but i'm getting more into that i think tactics is i i see it as the whole fighting bit as a means to an end <laughs> rather than the main part of the game um, yeah fighting for me is something which you have to do because of other people's aggression <laughs> you just have to get involved to get you to the end of the quest <laughs> well i think that's fair enough and with that in mind then should we jump to the uh to the spirit sphere and just sort of polish off the uh the cards that we didn't mention back in episode one which yes. is is the other side of this coin which is very much the um the, the questing side of the game yeah so f- which is so far for somebody who's just been playing a two or three months like me so far and i'm not sure if it's normal whether it's just me or what have you this is this always seems to be my and this is definitely my favorite sphere i think at the point i've got to so far in this game i think that's fair enough i think there's there's a spirit can do a hell of a lot and actually it can help you win a lot of quests and there is no better feeling than beating the quests um okay so like i say we have covered a lot of these cards so we're not going to look we're not we're going to try and not spend too much time here um we discussed the heroes didn't we? yeah so just just to quickly rattle through it so eowyn we have spoken about no end we both love her she yeah. is fantastic. fantastic so i i don't think we need to talk about eowyn anymore she is your go-to quester if you are playing spirit play eowyn uh, Dune here, of course, we've mentioned he's the only hero at the moment that can attack in the staging area. So um, he's really cool as well. But we have talked about him. Um, there's one hero we've not mentioned yet. And it's another made up one. It's Eleanor. This is a Gondor noble. She has a starting threat of seven. She quests for one. She hits for one. She defends for two. And she has three hit points so she's not that strong but she's very cheap for uh, for your starting threat she if you want to keep your threat down low eleanor is a good choice um she has a response exhaust eleanor to cancel the when revealed effect of a treachery card just revealed by the encounter deck then discard that card and replace it with the next card from the encounter deck so i mean cancelling treacheries is a wonderful thing it really is <laughs> but replacing treacheries with more encounter cards is is not so nice so i, I i'm always torn with eleanor have you played with her much yeah only only once or twice actually and i think looking back now it probably is going to really depend on what quest you're doing i think so yeah like you say it's only going to give you a starting threat of seven um, when you add her. And that is potential lifesaver of a response of an ability that she's got there. You know, I think we've all been in situations where we get one particular treasure thing. Oh, my God, anything but that would have been <laughs> would have been fine. Um, I think she's great for those kind of scenarios. I guess the downside is she hasn't got anything outstanding on her stats fair, which is, yeah. you know, we use her for questing or for fighting or what have you. It's almost like you need to build her up a bit to make her useful. Or... Yeah, but, but chances are you're exhausting her anyway to cancel that when revealed effect. And also, also, I'm noticing it's when revealed effect of 
treachery cards. So there are a lot of nasty when revealed effects on yeah. on enemies and locations. True, that's true. I don't know if I'm a fan. Yeah, well, I, I certainly don't play over anymore. But I, I, yeah, I mean, like you say, that definitely the the low starting threat is is very pleasant indeed. But I think if I was building with a a, a spirit deck, Eowyn and Dune here would definitely be my first choices. I mean, Dunehir's ability to attack in the staging area is great, and it's only a starting threat of one more. It's only eight. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, especially yeah. as um, Spirit has other cancellation cards. So let's maybe just jump jump to those. So so uh, there is a key event inside the Spirit um, sphere called a test of will. It has a cost of one. And there is a response. Cancel the when revealed effects of a card that was just revealed from the encounter deck. Now, this is possibly my favorite most used event in the core set. It only costs one and it saves your life on so many occasions. And again, just importantly, it's when revealed effects of a card. So not restricted to uh, just treacheries. It can be a when revealed effect on an enemy or a location as well. So, yeah. It's it's a great card. This is the one that if you do have a spirit deck or you've got some spirit cards in your in your deck, you want to see these come out early. <laughs> you don't want them to be somewhere deep in your deck, and you know you're always very very happy to see these come into your hand. I think so. Yeah, which proves what a great useful card it is. Absolutely, and and um, a test of will has kind of a sister card of another event called Hasty Stroke also costs one, um, and that has a response of cancel a shadow effect just triggered during combat. So, yeah, basically does does the same thing but for shadow cards, and again, that can be a complete lifesaver. Yeah, absolutely. Always keep, always keep one resource from Spirit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> is my advice. If, if, if you're wondering whether or not to play that ally and you've only got three resources and yeah, am I going to choose between this two-cost ally or this three-cost ally? You're probably better choosing the two-cost ally and keeping that one just in case you need to cancel something. Well, you say that, but the only two-cost ally available in the course <laughs> Spirit <laughs> is for Wandering Took. Mm-hmm. Who costs two? <laughs> Maybe if you said three and four, that might have that probably yeah, works it better. Might, it might have been a stronger argument. So the one that costs three is Valorian Guide. The one that costs four is Northern Track. We discussed them both, I think, in depth, didn't we? In in, in episode um, one, I think I think they're both two of both of our favourite uh, allies, right there. Fantastic, absolutely. But a wandering two costs two. He's got one willpower. He hits for one. He's got a. a defense of one and he's got two hit points and he's a hobbit and his action is reduce your threat by three to give control of wandering took to another player raise that player's threat by three so what we're saying there is <laughs> yeah it's terrible <laughs> well if, if one person his after well i don't know I'm, I'm trying to think of a scenario where it'd be helpful. no go ahead go on go on i, I guess i guess if <laughs> fool of a toque right this is he yeah. oh, trundles well. along and your fret goes up you get rid of him your fret goes down <laughs> that's what it is get out of my sight go over there go see that guy i mean <laughs> yeah i mean thematically he's great you've got the, you've got the wandering took with you he's knocking over things he's causing he's, he's looking in the palante he's looking yeah. in the palante when you specifically told him not to that's what he's doing <laughs> oh my 
word. Yeah. <sighs> I guess I guess if you're about to, you know, if you've got 48 <laughs> and your and your your playing partner's got 32, you might want to use him, but I don't know what I would give him trying to look on the positives. What I would give him is that he's got all right stats for a two-cost ally. He he'll do a bit of everything. He'll he'll quest for you, he'll fight for you, he'll defend for you, and he'll he might even survive with uh, with two hit points. Yeah. Uh, he's the but... only one close to any kind of fodder in the sphere, isn't he? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. A cheap a cheap kind of cheap ally to get out. Yeah, and may survive. But I to be to be honest, I think I can count on fingers of one hand the amount of times I've put Wandering Took in a deck. Yeah, he doesn't see any action with me. <laughs> so that's Wandering Took. <laughs> He's wandered off. <laughs> um, okay, so let's have a quick look at some of the other events that we haven't previously mentioned. Um we have one quite expensive thing. One thing we should we should reiterate because it's back in episode one that we mentioned this that that the spirit sphere is good, but there are some pretty pricey cards in here. I mean, we mentioned the Northern Tracker and the Lorian Guide, who are both incredible allies, but they do cost four and three respectively, so they're pretty pricey. And this event is also on the expensive side, so it's a cost of three, and it is the Gladrium's Greeting. Love this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great card. Um, it has an action. Reduce one player's threat by six or reduce each player's threat by two. Yeah, this can be a lifesaver. And even though it does cost three, which, like I say, it does seem quite expensive, chances are you're not going to need to play this until later in your game. So there is a high chance that you've got the resources mm. sort of stocked up. Or you're thinking near the beginning to stop engagements, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. I've, um, well, I, let's pick that up later, shall we? Yeah. See, that's that's me. I'm I, I'm reactionary. Once it's all, <laughs> you're you're all planning ahead. I'm like, oh, this has happened. <laughs> Maybe we make um, a good team. <laughs> um, no, but the Gladium greeting is uh, is a is a very nice card indeed. I think. And 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 although um, we do primarily play solo, its ability to reduce each player's threat by two can can also be very powerful. Especially if you're getting into playing um, three or four player games, then that becomes insanely powerful. You know what? I've I've never when we've been going through these cards and thinking about the quest and, and etc. I've never really given any thought to three and four player games just because I've got no experience of it. So I guess it doesn't really enter my mind. But yeah, that's a great point. I guess anything that says each player. Um, and, and then conversely, when you have to pick a player, then globally, I guess the ability of that card reduces the more players you have. So I've never really thought of it like that. But yeah, that's it's a good thing to bear in mind, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't think three or four player games are particularly common, but they do happen. I, I've played a couple over the years, but literally only a couple. Um okay so that's that's a, that's a great card so let's see what else we've got here um strength of will cost 0 look we've gone from one extreme to the other <laughs> this is an event that costs 0 it has a response after you travel to a location exhaust a spirit character to place two progress tokens on that location so again this is uh with the theme of um spirit's ability to 
power through quests by adding progress. Um, it's powerful, but I've rarely got a spare character to exhaust. I think it's if you've got a yeah. I, I, this one is all about planning and being confident of being able to quest through something. So, so if you're in a situation where you've got a location in the staging area, you're going to travel there and you think it only needs one or two to get through, or you know that on the next go, you're going to quest of Loring Guide, you're going to complete it straight away, whatever, then I think it could be useful. But what I found with this one, again, is I've put it in my hand a fair few times and I've very rarely used it. Because generally, if you've got spirit guys, you're questing with them, and they're going to quest for either they're either going to quest for more than one, sort of two or more anyway, or um, they've got other abilities which are going to add progress tokens to, to to cards. I mean, yeah, maybe it's a good one for Wandering Took. Yeah, exactly. Wandering Took. Well, all of these allies quest for only one, actually, the spirit allies. So you could exhaust and get two progress. You know, um, yeah, it's tricky though, isn't it? Because Lorian Guide quests for one, but then after Lorian Guide commits to a quest, place one progress token on the active location. So, yeah, because actually, if with the Lorian Guide, you could in theory clear a location straight off the bat just by the ability of questing, and then you'd still get your one willpower, which would contribute against the. Uh, against the staging area. Or the other way to look at it is Lauren Guy's going to quest for one. On the next go, the next round, once he commits again, then you're going to put that one on there. So that kind of adds up to the same in total. Yeah, and also, of course, with the with the Lorian Guide and the Northern Tracker, you're going to just use them round after round after round. Well, Strength of Will you're, is, a, is a one-off. I have Northern Tracker, one, once in a while, I'll get Northern Tracker involved in defending. Oh yeah, no Northern Track is great defending and attacking. Yeah, but Lorian Guide, yeah, he's essentially if he gets in a fight, he's he's not going to be very useful. <laughs> no. Um, okay, so yeah, Strength of Will, we're not massive fans of. Um, another Will, there's lots of Will in uh, in Spirit. Yeah. So another Will is the Will of the West. Cost of one. Choose a player. Shuffle that player's discard pile back into his deck. Now, um. Can you please explain to me why on earth we would want to do this? Well, I think it's obviously if there's useful card or cards which you've discarded and you want to get them back in in a random order, then <laughs> I guess that's what's useful. I have never used this card. No, it's terrible. I included it in a couple at right near the beginning, but I just never thought... I mean, maybe if there's... I, I don't know, a situation where one player desperately needs one particular card or whatever back in their hand. That's a pretty... You're feeling pretty lucky. Yeah, yeah. And then you've got, you got at least 50. <laughs> well, no. Well, whatever. Minus however you got out or in your hand. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I've never used it, really. No. And, 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 it cost, and it cost you one for the privilege. I'm sure there are people listening who are going to say, "Oh no, I know where I can use that," <laughs> which we which we don't know about. But yeah, I've no, I haven't come across it personally. Oh well, please do get in contact if you do use it. I will be happily proven wrong. Yeah, on of the West. <laughs> Love to know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but one event that I can find quite a lot of use for is stand and fight. 
and the cost of X and has action. Choose an ally with a printed cost of X in any player's discard pile. Put that ally into play under your control. The chosen ally can belong to any sphere of influence. It's a great card. It is, but I we, we have to have this conversation. And I know we've come to blows on this. And this is important for new players. It is important to note that officially you cannot play this on Gandalf. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, this is one of the most contentious official rulings ever, I think, in Lord of the Rings, the card game. And I think you'll be hard pushed to find anyone who actually agrees with it. But basically, the ruling states that because Gandalf is neutral, he does not belong to any sphere. So therefore, the wording on this card says the chosen ally can belong to any sphere of influence. Because Gandalf doesn't belong to any sphere of influence, you cannot use standard fight on Gandalf. Okay, so I think so. it sounds like this debate has <laughs> has raged already somewhere. I mean... The way I look at that, I thought there's no way when they designed this, they originally thought, right, we'll get this to apply to all the characters apart from Gandalf. <laughs> like, it's, otherwise, it's just made, they would have just made it much clearer. I think they just saw it and thought, well, it'll be more of a challenge if we don't have it for Gandalf. But if that's fine, you know, if that's what the ruling is, fine, you can't use it with Gandalf. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the ruling. And I, but I think it's also important to to note that a neutral card doesn't belong to a sphere of influence because that will come up later with other cards but specifically with this one it does seem a, a little bonkers yeah. but but that aside it is still a very powerful card oh this is this is a great card yeah yeah the ability to bring back an ally from the dead terrific <laughs> yeah and and bearing in mind you can use uh, any action window yes so if you need to bring somebody back for a fight fine if they just got killed off because of something nasty that happened during questing, you can bring them back straight away. So, yeah, this is a really powerful card. Yeah, it's terrific. I love it. I love it. Um, and on the theme of bringing cards out of the discard pile back into your hand, uh, another great card is the Dwarven Tomb. Cost of one has an action. Return one spirit card from the discard pile to your hand. This is, yeah, again, really, really useful card. It really is. I mean, going back to um, A Test of Will and uh, Hasty Stroke, the two cards which cancel when revealed effects and shadow effects, respectively, this can be a lifesaver. If you if you just need to bring one of these cards back and uh, and play it straight out again, just, again, make sure you have the resources. There's nothing more frustrating as keeping that one resource back going, oh, I'll just, get, I'll just play the Dwarven Tomb for one, bring back my Test of Will, and I can't afford to play it yeah you need to be planning you you really do react to stuff <laughs> have you done that before <laughs> once or twice once or twice <laughs> heat of the moment i <laughs> uh, see i i find this useful for as well the other card I use in conjunction with quite a lot is for galadrim's greeting so you reduce your threat by six you can do it on another six if it hasn't come up through your for your deck through natural means <laughs> you can bring it back from from the dead using the dwarven too so yeah this is a yeah very powerful card yeah it's great i love it um okay there's a there's a couple more events um and they are two that i never play so where should we start 
let's start with the first one that crops up. So that's a, a light in the dark, which costs two. And this action is choose an enemy engaged with a player, return that enemy to the staging area. So where could that be useful? Well, I think that's that could be useful, well, when? I guess just after engagement checks, maybe? Send somebody back to the staging area. Another time it could be useful is if you've just reduced your threat and you've got somebody who's engaged with you, you can send them back to the staging area and then they don't engage you again because your threat is now low enough. Um, so that could be useful. I suppose you could use it in conjunction with Dune here. If if yeah, if, if you want too, yeah. if you wanted to attack them and if you could get if you could kill them with Dune here, you could send the enemy back up, give Dune here that extra attack point, and then kill the enemy. But for the cost of two, I, I still think this card is awful. What if you just engage somebody who's really nasty, and you think I need another round? I need to, you know, I can't afford a fight against this enemy right now. You could spend two to send them back. Yeah, but he's just going to come back the next round, most likely. Unless, like you say, unless you've managed to reduce your threat. Yeah, but maybe you know that, I don't know, you've got Gandalf coming in. Yeah, exactly. You've got Gandalf coming in next time and you can reduce your threat that way. Or well, I don't know. I, I think, yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you. Again, I've not really used this one. I'm just thinking of ways that you could use it. Oh, I, I can see how it could be used, but for the cost of two, I, it just... Uh... Just seems like a waste of money and a, and a waste. It's it's also just taking up space in the deck, which could, could I, another, I would rather. Go on. Could could another good use of it be if you're playing two player, and because of engagement checks, the wrong player ended up with a particularly nasty enemy, which you wanted to kind of be the other way around. You could send somebody back, and then the other player could optionally engage that enemy the next time. So essentially it's a way of getting somebody out of engagement with one player back into staging and next time engage with another player. I guess that's another thing that it could offer you. Well, yeah, that does work. But for the cost of two, I mean... Well, if it's going to mean you're saving allies and heroes, it could be, you know, if you've got a nasty enemy engaged with, with all your spirit guys, which is stopping you questing because you need to not quest to be able to survive that battle or what have you and then the other people can take them out straight away could be could be useful in that situation i i admire your your effort to look deeply into ways that this card could become useful but i i, I just think for a cost of two to have this card in your deck just in case the situation arose i think is uh it's not for me but please be, be my guest <laughs> <laughs> um you're turning you're turning the light out on that one yeah uh, yeah <laughs> Okay, so the the final event in Spirit, it's a, it's a five-coster. I've never used this, but I'm just reading it again now. I, I've kind of just overlooked it ever since the early days, I guess. This could actually be pretty good. It's Fortune or Fate. So this costs five. That's Gandalf, expense, John. Ignore <laughs> it. And the action is, uh, choose a hero in any player's discard pile. Put that card in into play under its owner's control. So you've lost a hero, you want to return that hero back into play. I guess the well, the obvious advantage of that is you you get back a potentially very powerful hero into your into your hand, maybe critical to your success. I guess the disadvantage is if you've lost that hero, they've lost all of their resource, they've lost all of their attachments. Um so you're really starting afresh uh, yeah. with that person. I guess uh, 
Yeah, again, again, it's, it's set me off thinking while we're talking about it. <laughs> I can, I, I can imagine. Yeah, this would be, this could be very useful. I mean, I, I guess if you're doing a quest and you keep getting to a point where you're almost doing it, but people are getting killed off right near the end or something, then yeah, maybe you could utilize this and put that in, in that deck to so you can pass that quest or what have you. But I guess in general terms, you're probably not going to be putting this one by default. I guess in a in, in a deck. I guess. Yeah, for me, I mean, this comes back to what I said about uh, Brock Ironfist. I would just rather try and keep my heroes alive than save up five and keep Fortune of Fate in my deck just in case. But mentioning that, perhaps we could find a way to get this to work with Brock. If you if you can if you can be playing this, get yourself a dead dwarf. Brock Ironfist comes in, then play Fortune of Fate. You've essentially free got, Brock. You've got free Brock. You've got basically playing with four heroes then yeah i mean brock, brock is not doesn't a hero count as a hero though right? oh Can't no far far and... from it far from it <laughs> <laughs> but yes that's 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 great i mean we're talking about very specific circumstances here, i guess but yeah, yeah you're right you're right absolutely um yeah it could work but i wouldn't i, I i'm not putting fortune of fate in my uh i will take my fate <laughs> yeah. and, and this costs a fortune <laughs> uh, you're gonna i'll have the fortune please so <laughs> yeah you can keep I'll, your fate i'm keeping the fortune <laughs> yeah good luck with your fate yeah <laughs> it's not fate worse than death it is death <laughs> okay um okay we got we got three three attachments just to quickly go over here well, you're talking about two of my favorite cards in this whole thing. Oh, fantastic. Well, why don't you go ahead? Okay. So the first one, Favor of the Lady, which costs two. So you attach it to a hero, any hero, and that hero gets plus one willpower. Simple as that. So you pay two, and you're going to be questing for an additional one. If you've got our favorite Eowyn in there, who's already questing for four every time, Favor of the Lady there too, questing for five minimum every single time. I mean, just immensely powerful i i really like yeah i love it I, if you can get a load of these out just get just get yourself a super quester yeah so you can attach more than one of these to one player oh absolutely it's not it's not restricted yeah so one player can have three favor of ladies very favorable with the ladies <laughs> <laughs> which i mean you know you, yeah you're right you get like a super a super quester yeah i love it I love it. It's great. Yeah, and I, I'm going to guess what your uh, what your other favorite is. Yeah, well, I love all three of these, but yeah, I think the other one I really love. Go on, go ahead and guess then. Unexpected courage. Yes, totally unexpected courage. I tend to put three of these in my hand if I've got uh, a spirit deck on the go. I would say that if you only own one core set, you only have one of these. True. Yeah. Um. And that we are going to be discussing the merits of having more than one core set and whether or not it's worth it or not. And that, that, that will come down to everyone's uh, personal situations and whether or not they really want to spend all the extra money on, on, on extra core sets. But um, yeah, the fact that you only get one of these in one core set, I think, is a little bit cheap. You can, of course, proxy these cards. There's, there's no, nothing that states that you can't just pretend to have three of them. We'll get a colour photocopier and <laughs> Absolutely. I mean if you're happy to do that, I would just print it out, cut them out, put put them in a sleeve. 
you're going to kind of know when you come across it though in your where it is in your deck <laughs> that's true that's true you'd probably have, you, you'd, if you'd be honest yeah you, as long as you yeah. yeah yeah you know if you're cheating or not and if and if and if it's you it's it's nearly every round <laughs> apparently so <laughs> i don't mean to i don't mean to um but that aside yes if unexpected courage cost of two attached to a hero action exhaust unexpected courage to ready the attached hero Oh boy! I mean, unbelievably useful. It's fantastic. Basically, you're going to be getting double the use out of whichever hero you have this attached to. Yeah. So you can quest and defend, or you can defend and attack, or you can whatever. It's it's incredibly useful. If a hero has a um, ability which they need to exhaust for, then you can ready them. It's yeah, fantastic. Really, really like this card. Yeah, terrific. I can't. Uh, it, it 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 does make me wonder if Fantasy Flight only put one copy of this in a core deck on purpose because it is so powerful that it, it is going to encourage people to buy more than one core set. But I yeah. I don't want to be that cynical. But a part a part of me does think that. But I guess when when it comes into practice, so even with three core sets, you've got three of these in your hand. They still cost two each time, and you're going to have to still draw them into your hand. And you're going to have to be able to afford them, etc. So, and that means that you're not spending on other things. So, so actually, getting these out onto two, even two heroes, is not guaranteed. Even well, even getting onto one isn't guaranteed. But I, I, I generally, you, you'll stick three in there on the hope that you get one or maybe two. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah. For sure. Of course. Because if you have three, the chances of you getting one have been uh, is multiplied by three. Of course. Um, I mean, one thing which I've only ever done occasionally, but it is great fun if you can find a reason to do it, is put two of these on a single hero. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you quest, defend, attack, whatever. <laughs> whatever you want, just keep readying them. You know, and if they've got a crazy uh, action, just keep on pulling it off. And the best thing is that throughout the whole period of a game that goes on for, it's always still unexpected. Yeah, didn't see it coming. <laughs> <laughs> um okay and we have finally the the last uh attachment in spirit is power in the earth and the cost of one and it says attached to a location the attached location gets minus one threat yeah pretty simple i and i really for some reason i really love the artwork on this card oh it's magical it's and i just love the idea of it like there's some something to do with something older and deeper <laughs> some older magic at play or, or what have you i think th this card is probably one i haven't used that much but i really love it when i do use it <laughs> if that makes sense yeah but it, i mean it, it, it's very obviously it's very similar to the uh the event inside law what was it um, um secret paths Secret path, thank you. Um, but of course, that's only an event. So you play that once for cost yeah. of one, and it and it and it doesn't, and the location won't count its threat whatsoever. So that, of course, it's very powerful. But this one attaches, and it just keeps minus one the whole time. So if you have a a, a location which only contributes one threat, it's quite nice just to chuck this on there, and then you just can just leave it in the staging area for your entire game. Yeah. Or if you've got a location which you really don't want to travel to because it's got some nasty um event which is going to happen when you when you travel there or some nasty response then again you can just 
put one of these onto onto that location just leave it in the staging area yeah so it's contributing less threat but you you just don't want to travel to that place but yeah useful useful card i think it's the correct cost of one as well yeah i I completely agree okay so that's the spirit cards in fact that's all the cards from the core set and and uh that was quite long and quite exhaustive but i think it was good that we've got all the core player cards covered now which frees us up to start talking a bit more in depth about the uh about the quests so speaking of which journey along the anduin oh boy (laughs) hello listener the next section contains spoilers for the journey along the anduin quest if you want to avoid those spoilers and skip this section, please go forward to 2 hours and 16 minutes to catch the last couple of minutes of the podcast. Thank you. I will just I, I I'll just start by saying I uh, I love Journey Along the Anduin. I mean, I've always thought this was a fantastic quest and I was very, very excited and very much looking forward to getting back to play it again. Um, and, and again, I restricted myself back down to just the... Uh, the player cards available in the core set and i was not expecting to be playing it all night every night for about five nights in a row before <laughs> i defeated it <laughs> i too really love this um quest and when i've played through solo the first time round, i made a specific deck for this quest because i, I was really struggling uh, to beat it and when I've gone back to it this time, I've I actually I've actually ended up playing this about five or six times. And I think on four of those occasions, I reused that specific deck I created. And on all four times, I completed it with that specific deck. And with the other two, I just kind of bodged something together. Um, like one of them was the law deck, which I sort of created for the first time, and it, and it just it just didn't work. <laughs> I thought, yes, there was a reason I created this deck in the first place. <laughs> I think my um, my overconfidence was my undoing to start with because I ba- <laughs> I basically just picked up the deck that I'd used to defeat uh, Pastry Mirkwood and thought, well, yeah, sure, this this seemed to do fine with that quest. It beat it first go. I'll just give it a go here. I didn't even tweak it. I just went straight in and got utterly annihilated. So before we get before we get too far into how we fared and anything that that struck us about the quest, uh, let's just give a sort of brief overview of what this uh what this quest entails so first of all i'll say this is that this this quest is so beautifully thematic it, it really is a it really is a, a a lovely proper introduction into the lord of the rings card game because as nice as pastry mirkwood is it does feel a bit like a stroll in the forest and you meet some spiders this quest really does paint a beautiful picture um yeah i think i think this is the first time well it's the second quest of course i think, I think the, that first quest is really introducing you to some of the key concepts of how the game works i think but straight away here in the, in the second quest is what you say suddenly you can see the way the dynamics of the game shape the story and vice versa and it, yeah it's so so beautifully done i think this is yeah just a wonderful quest you just feel like you're doing what it's saying on those cards <laughs> it's really terrific Absolutely. So, okay. So, the, so the first quest card. Um, do you have it? Do you happen I've, to have it at yeah, hand? I've got, I've got them right here. Do you want me to? Yeah. So, so just uh, let us know what the first quest card says. 
Okay, so the first um, part is called To the River. To the River. <laughs> Emerging from Mirkwood Forest with an urgent message for Lady Galadriel, you must now make your way south along the Anduin River in order to reach the Forest of Lorien. As you leave the forest behind, you notice that you are being pursued and thus quicken your pace. Oh. Uh-huh. Okay, so, yeah, so far so good. It uh, so- sounds like it's going to be a, a continuation of where we left off. Exactly. So a very simple setup for this one, which is each player reveals one card from the top of the encounter deck, adds it to the staging area. Okay. And then yeah. turning the card over, as you approach the location of a small raft stashed on the riverbank, a fearsome hill troll emerges from behind a grouping of rocks and attacks. A hill troll? <laughs> Straight off the bat. Unbelievable. So <laughs> you, you played your introductory quest of a passage through Mirkwood. You've managed to beat it, maybe with even two of the uh, Monosphere decks. And then you jump into Journey Along the Anduin, and the first thing it gives you is a hill troll. I must admit, when I first saw this, and I saw, I just saw that hill troll card, I was like, how am I, how on earth, am I, this is impossible. It's like, <laughs> I was immediately overwhelmed. And I thought, I don't really, I'm not an expert in these card games, so... Maybe people who've played other card games and stuff before might see that and not immediately panic like I did. <laughs> but I did. I thought, it's impossible. It's impossible. I can't do that. <laughs> he is pretty He is pretty fearsome. I mean, just to read out the stats. Uh, so the Hill Troll, he has an engagement cost of 30. Which is not that high. No. And he has a threat of 1. Which is quite low. He hits for 6. Ouch. He defends for three. Also ouch. And he has nine hit points. Nine. (laughs) And if you didn't think that was bad enough, (laughs) he has a constant effect. And it says, excess combat damage dealt by the hill troll. And then it explains damage that is dealt beyond the remaining hit points of the character damaged by its attack must be assigned as an increase to your threat. Mamma mia. Hi, caramba. Mamma mia. <laughs> I went Spanish, you went Italian. <laughs> Usually the other way around, but that's fine. We'll go with it. Um, <laughs> uh, um, nasty. Yeah. So this guy, this guy is trouble. So all I would say straight off the bat is I think the first thing you realize is that if you have a starting threat anywhere close to 30 or heaven forbid above it you're in trouble straight away yeah i mean if, if, if you need a at least one round to rally the troops to prepare yourself for this hill troll coming to get you so i think an absolute minimum of 29 starting threat is required for a journey along the anduin yeah i mean the, one of the cool things about this um, quest is you know you've You've got this message. You got a nice little raft or a boat. What is it? A, a raft. A raft. You're already wait. Yeah, you're almost on it. And then there's, there. <laughs> there's a hill troll. Just appears out of nowhere. No, not out of nowhere. From behind some rocks. A grouping of rocks. Okay. <laughs> Indeed. And it, and yeah. So so I love it. So straight away it's sprung on you. Yeah. And the first time you see this, it's sprung on you. It's like, whoa, where did this nasty, nasty guy come from? Um, yeah, and like I say, I've, I was 
really overwhelmed with this and it took me a while to figure out what I could do to actually counter this guy. And I've ended up with a very specific deck, I think, to deal really with the, the hill troll more than anything else. What is your, uh, what's your preferred tactic then for taking this guy out? Um, well, what I... So the deck I've ended up with is basically, like you were alluding to, having a low starting threat. I think the starting threat is something like 26, I think it is. And then using a couple of methods to lower um, that threat so I don't get past 30 until at least I'm ready to take on the troll. Yeah, so total preparation then, just building up your forces. Building up forces, and uh, so one of the heroes that I use for this quest is Dunhir, because he can attack in the staging area. So I need to beef him up a little bit, because he can't do any damage to the troll in the staging area unless he is beefed up, because he only hits for two, uh, plus an additional one if he's attacking alone in the staging area. But he's got shield of three anyway, the hill troll, so... That automatically cancels that out. So I need to get get a weapon or two <laughs> onto onto done here, and and not not engage that troll in the meantime. I but, guess one of the sorry, go on. Uh, go, on go on. No, well, I could say, well, of course. I mean, this is a, this is a perfectly legitimate tactic. But I, what I found is that if I no if I was trying just to keep the hill troll in the staging area, um, to buy myself time to build up a, a force to uh, to take him out, that as each round passed, I was just getting swamped with locations and other enemies that I'd have to deal with. Because uh, you've already got an extra card, of course, dealt straight off the bat before you even revealed the, the hill troll. And I was finding that I was getting either even location locked, which um, which basically means that you have so many locations in the staging area and you are currently at an active location that you cannot generate enough willpower to uh to basically quest successfully so therefore never getting past your active location and therefore you you just threat out eventually because there's no way you can quest successfully and if i wasn't getting location locked i was just getting swamped by enemies that meant that every time i tried to build up an army they were just getting uh, swatted like flies yeah so i've i've been pretty successful with this with this particular i mean do you want to go into the details of the deck i I used for it, or entirely up to you if you if you, if you think it's valid. Well, well, basically, it's uh, the the three heroes I've got are are Dunhir, Eowyn, and Tharnin. And the reason I picked those three is so there's two spirit heroes, so there's going to going to be able to quest, uh, especially with, with Eowyn there. Um, I've got Lorien guides, Northern trackers in there. Um, now Tharnin. We'll commit to a quest, and he's going to do a damage to every every enemy that comes out from that encounter deck. So straight away, if you do get an enemy, they got a damage on them. You got Dun here, who can attack those enemies in the staging area, so you can slowly pick them off, or sometimes quickly pick them off if you manage to beef up Dun here a bit. So something like the um, Blade of Gondolin can be useful if he's attacking orcs. There's a fair few orcs to fight in this uh, scenario. Um, Dwarven Axe gives him an additional one that allows him to see off most enemies fairly quickly actually uh, especially with Farlin putting one on them as soon as they get revealed and then Farlin plus Eowyn plus whatever allies and other attachments bits and bobs you get you basically is, essentially allows you to stay on top of the questing I think you can using that deck there have been a couple of times where it's been oh god it's gone a bit hairy but I've kind of managed to get through it 
but generally it's been fairly smooth. I think the balance is, is quite good of the deck I've put together for it. So it's mainly spirit with some sort of critical bits and bobs of tactics in there as well. So it's feints, quick strikes, swift strikes. If I do want to engage someone and get them out of the staging area, I can use one of those, hopefully, or whatever, just get rid of yeah, get rid of that enemy quite quickly. Yeah, and I guess it, it all comes down to if you can lower your threat enough to give yourself the time to build your forces. That's 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 right. So what you want in that first so you've got a starting threat of twenty six. What you really want to get in that first three or four goes is either a Gandalf who can lower your threat by five or a Galatrim's greeting who can lower your threat by six. And so what I'll do is when I deal for cards, if I don't have either of those in my first hand, I'll mulligan it and go for the second one, and hopefully I'll have one. But if I don't, then you just got to chance it off the, off the deck. Um, you can still just about get away with it if you're lucky, I think, if you don't manage to do that. but Oh, yeah. No, four rounds before the, the Hill Troll um, engages you is loads. Yeah. I mean, I, I was playing with, I think, uh, a deck. I think eventually I beat it with a deck which had a starting threat of 28 or 27. And I think in the end... I just managed to spam the hill troll with with Gandalf. So like, I think I had Gandalf and two sneak attacks, and I managed to just basically whack on four, <laughs> whack, on, four, whack yep. on another four, and then tickle him to death with Aragorn or something. Um, <laughs> what a way to go! <laughs> it's how I it's, it's how I want to go. So you, you want you want to get beaten within an inch of your life by a wizard. And then tickled by a king. <laughs> that is one hell of a way to go. Okay. Is, it, is it really too much to ask? <laughs> I mean, who doesn't want? That, right? <laughs> um, what what I would um, what I just want to we are going to move on from the hill troll in one second. But one thing I think is important to point out to new players is that the hill troll has a victory point on oh, him. Yeah. Right, he has, he has four victory points on him, and you'll notice a few of the encounter cards have victory points in this set now victory points were mostly there for a way of scoring your games which to be frank no one really does i mean i did it a few times when starting out just out of curiosity when i was really nerding up and really uh, logging all my plays and um, really curious to see how well i did each time but other than that there is one very important rule about uh, encounter cards which have victory points and that is when they are defeated so either destroyed as an enemy or explored as a location they do not go to the encounter discard pile they go into what's called the victory display now this is essentially just another pile of cards but what's important about that is that if you ever have to shuffle the discard pile back into the encounter deck or search the discard pile for anything or indeed run out of cards from the encounter deck and have to reset it those cards which are in the victory display are not added back in so basically once you kill that hill troll he's gone but there is another one (laughs) yeah Yeah, good points all around i think i managed to do this with something like 24 victory points a couple of days ago because i was just about to kill the troll and then the other one turned up (laughs) (laughs) and i kept drawing um 
Gladden Fields, which I kept having to go to, travel to. Um, so I ended up with two trolls, three Gladden Fields. <laughs> and I think I had the, well, the other, a couple of the other big nasties in there as well, which all sort of totted up. So that got quite hairy. But it's, 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 it's a, I don't know, it's a really terrific quest. I mean, you're trying to get onto your raft. You've got that troll in the way, and while you're trying to defeat this troll, other nasties are turning up. You think, yeah, how am I going to get out of this? And when you finally do, you can finally get yourself onto that raft and get going. So you've killed your troll, and that's one of the uh, prerequisites for beating the first quest card. You can't move on from the second quest card until you've beaten the hill troll. Yeah. It's got you need eight progress on the first one, so it's not a massive amount, but obviously, yeah, you've got that troll. <laughs> Oh, and if the second troll turns up, you have to beat that one too. You cannot yes. uh, progress unless the, if there are any hill trolls in play. Yeah, it says, uh, well, when revealed, search encounter deck for one hill troll if one not is already in play. So when you reveal that very first one, what you want is a hill troll. Absolutely. At that point, because then that's, that's the only card you start with. <laughs> um, but it says players cannot defeat this stage while any hill troll cards are in play. So if you happen to get the second one, like I did the other day, you've got to beat both of them before you can get on that raft. Oh, nasty. It's, it's very nasty, nasty business. <laughs> okay, but let's say you find a way to defeat him. Um, you, you get on that raft, and uh, I guess it's plain sailing from there. You'd think so. The second part of the quest is called Anduin Passage. Um, after defeating the troll, you are able to board the raft and embark upon a river voyage. As you depart, your enemies pursue harassing the small vessel as you attempt to navigate the river. So when you flip that one over, you see straight away it's got 16 progress tokens required to defeat it. As your enemies harass the raft, it's difficult to maintain balance and effectively fight them off. Reveal one additional card from the encounter deck each quest phase. Straight away pretty nasty. Do not make engagement checks during the encounter phase. Each player may still optionally engage one enemy each encounter phase. So what that means is you're getting two encounters every time. So that means more chance of treachery, more uh, threat points going into the staging area to stop you questing. But what it also means is you're not getting additional enemies unless you choose to engage. Yeah, and then you can only engage one. Then you can only engage one. And this is great, like thematically. The way this pans out while you're playing is just so good. Thematically, it's wonderful uh, from a gameplay perspective, this last week I have wanted to cry. <laughs> this is this has been the stage which has been my undoing um, because that extra card it always it always seemed to be the worst possible enemy that could be stuck in the staging area or it's like two locations that I could only travel to one of them and therefore my uh therefore the the threat level was so high I couldn't get past it, it, it it's been a nightmare <laughs> see for me what I tended to find is once I could get past the troll then I went down the Anduin fairly swiftly ah yeah but you you had your heavy questing deck didn't you I mean you had, I did you're, yeah you're you're, you're you're all spirit so um I, I can I can I can see that I mean I, again the, but back to the theme just for a second yeah. it's so wonderful the idea that you're on this raft the enemy is massing on the banks but yeah. not not being able to reach you they're chasing you along <laughs> and, and yeah and then you can sort of maybe grab one and bring him onto the raft to to, to kill yeah. them um and there's oh there's one enemy 
which I just want to highlight now, which is so... It, I hate him, but it's so beautiful for this quest. And that's the, um, that's the Goblin Sniper. You know how I feel about the Goblin Sniper. <laughs> <laughs> I detest this guy. <laughs> okay, so the Goblin Sniper. He is um, a goblin and an orc. He has an engagement cast of 48. So right at the top of the scale. I mean, basically, if your threat is 48, Goblin Sniper should be the least of your worries, really. Um, so he's not going to engage you. Um, he has a threat of two. Average. And he hits for two. Very average. No defense. Love that. And two hit points. Piece of cake. However, he has an effect. It says... During the encounter phase, players cannot optionally engage Goblin Sniper if there are other enemies in the staging area. Now, it does continue, but let's just look at this for a second. If this guy comes out during this second card, chances are there are already enemies in that staging area because you can only optionally engage one per round. Um, So that basically means if the Goblin Sniper comes out after that point, you can never optionally engage him. So, but then you think, well, that, that's not too bad, you know. He's only contributing threat of two, but then it says this: forced. If Goblin Sniper is in the staging area at the end of the combat phase, each player deals one point of damage to one character he controls. Ay, 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 horrible, horrible man, the Goblin Sniper. In fact, not a hor- horrible goblin. <laughs> yeah, he's <laughs> when I was fir- first came across the Goblin Sniper. He did my head in. Because he can actually decimate you after... Boy, he does one damage every time to at least one hero. Uh, Sorry, one character, a big part. Yeah, I was going to say, one character. But coupled with the other kind of treachery cards that are in this deck and other things that can happen, yeah, he, he he can decimate you, this guy. You need to get rid of him. Well, yeah, but it's, I mean, you had Dune here, which is uh, a blessing here for sure. And um, and, I, and I actually, the more I listened to how you structured your deck, the more I wish I had just used it. Because this guy can sit there up a tree and just fire arrows into you willy-nilly. And, and like you say, it only takes a few rounds before you know it, you're, you're in real trouble. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so my way of, of dealing with him was through Dune. So again, Farlin is going to do a damage on him when he comes out. He's going to get up. He's got two hit points, got one left. Doing here just needs to attack him once he's dead. Even without Farlin hitting him, he's, he's, going, to, he's, he's going to take him out. So, yeah, doing here really, like, with this card in particular, this second stage of this quest, where there's no uh, engagement checks, doing here is an absolute godsend because he can just sit there every round, picking them off. If you have unexpected courage, it's, it's, it's double bubble for doing here. <laughs> he's, and he's unbelievably useful you can quest him, you can attack, whatever um, so, so that was my way of keeping the staging area kind of under control and then I've got enough questing going on with the rest of the deck and with Erwin there etc um, that you could actually get through if you've got a location come along if you know after because you spent time building yourself up in the first phase Hopefully you've got a northern tracker out, maybe even two, a Lorian guide or two out there. Um, so actually, if there's cards in play, whether it's an active location or one in the staging area, every time you're questing with the trackers, they're putting a, uh, a progress token on the uh, on on the locations in the staging area, 
and the Loring guys are doing the same for the current location. So actually utilizing those cards keeps a handle on the locations. So you've got, they're taking care of locations, you've got Dun here and Tarlin to an extent taking care of the staging area. And then you've got the other cards you're getting, hopefully dealing with the treachery. And so I think that kind of balance, I don't, to be honest, I haven't figured out another way to beat this quest. <laughs> that's the only way I've figured out how to do it. And I've just done that loads of times. <laughs> oh, that's fair enough. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, it obviously worked much more effectively than mine. I mean, I played a completely different style. I mean, I, I was playing leadership and law. Um, so my, 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 my play style was completely different to that. So how did you finally manage to beat it in the end? Oh, well, uh, well, I, well, I started out with a, a, a spirit tactics deck, same as you actually, to start with. And I think I had Eowyn, Legolas, Gimli, I think. And it was during that time, I was just getting location locked the whole time. So I had this deck that was really geared towards destroying enemies. And I, I thought with uh, Legolas's ability, I'd be able to progress on, on the quests along with Eowyn. But it, I just kept on getting tied up with locations. So I think actually on your advice, I uh, leaned the deck towards Spirit and took out Legolas and brought in Dune here with with the idea that, that the extra questing ability would help me with all the locations. And I think it was at that exact point that the encounter deck decided just to throw only enemies at me. And I don't think I saw a location for about three attempts. <laughs> Standard. Standard fair, yeah. <laughs> uh, so then I thought, okay, forget this. I'm just going to tear this deck down and, and just build from the ground up again. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to go completely polar opposite. And I built a leadership lore deck with Aragorn, Theodrid, and Denethor. Yeah, Denethor. Because, and, and actually, that's key because right. my whole approach sort of similar to yours about trying to control the staging area but what i ended up doing was um constantly scrying the encounter deck to make sure i could see what was coming and and for the time i actually defeated it i was basically using henemaf river song and denethor to see what was coming off the top of the deck if there was anything that i thought was going to cause me grief i was just chucking it to the bottom of the deck and actually, that was pretty effective. Um, I think the second card that was going to come off the deck after the hill troll was going to be uh, Chieftain Uftak. And so he he went straight to the bottom of the deck. No, <laughs> yeah. was... Sent him to the abyss. Oh, boy. And, oh, like I said, I, I, I had two sneak attacks and Gandalf in my hand to start with. So that took out the troll without any trouble. And then I think I managed to get Faramir out, which really helped with all the questing. And I also used Calabrian Stone on Aragorn. And I put just a a smattering of spirit into the deck for um, cancellations, which uh, Aragorn could spend his resources on once he had the stone attached to him. So, yeah, in the end, my deck worked out pretty well, but it certainly wasn't a walk in the park. I mean... Okay. But you put a... So you did put just a touch of spirit in there to deal with... Um, shadows and and treachery yeah you you've got to i mean some of those treacheries are just abysmal yeah well one the one i really didn't want to see come up generally was the if i if i couldn't cancel it was the necromancer's reach 
Did we discuss this one last time too? Oh yes, of course. So Necromancer's Reach, if I remember, this is the one which just deals one damage to every exhausted character. Yeah, so it's going to come out generally in the quest phase. So you've quested all of your trackers and your guys, whoever, everybody. <laughs> Farlin, uh, Eowyn, only got three hit points, right? Um, I, ended, I ended up in a, in a quest. That one went ended up with both the hill trolls. I think I ended up with Citadel Plate on both Farlin and on Eowyn. <laughs> because they, this card kept destroying. I couldn't get, I couldn't get a, a test of will to, to undo any when revealed effects and uh they were on the verge of death this card cro- cro- cropped up twice so <laughs> two two citadel plates on that raft must have been pretty uh, <laughs> that's a lot of extra weight <laughs> yeah. that was before we got on the raft actually but, but yeah yeah totally it's <laughs> it's a good old raft it's a sturdy raft um well, I, I have a couple of uh, enemies, and I certainly have a couple of shadow effects that I want to talk about. But maybe we should discuss what happens if you manage to get past this second quest. So again, the theme fist is great. Like you were saying, you're fighting off the odd enemy as they're amassing on a bank, chasing you down the river. And you need to get 16 pro, quite a lot of progress. But you're going down the river, so you're covering a long distance. And then you reach your destination, and that's what happens at the end of that second part of a quest the third part is uh i think it does what it says on the tin here ambush on the shore the ongoing harassment from your enemies has forced your raft to the shore and you must now confront their ambush head on if you survive this attack the path to the golden wood should be open before you very nice too very nice too then you turn it over and straight away you notice there are zero progress tokens required to pass this one so you know there's going to be a condition (laughs) and it says when revealed reveal two encounter cards per player and add them to the staging area skip the staging step of the quest phase for the remainder of the game once there are no enemies in play the players have won the game that means that everything that was in the staging area by the time you'd finished that second card basically can now engage you and the likelihood is your threat's built up over that journey on the second one that they're probably all going to engage you. Plus, you've got two new fresh ones coming out of the encounter deck as well. So it's a big fight on the on, on the banks of a river. <laughs> I love it. It's so beautifully thematic. They've, yeah. they've been just following your raft down the river, just running down the bank, and then you beach it, and then they're coming to get you. they got hands on hip. <laughs> <laughs> Staring you down. <laughs> I mean... I, I absolutely think it's so wonderfully thematic. Um, That's brilliant. Oh, but, but okay, so the staging step is not going to happen anymore. So basically, whatever you have at the end of the reveal of the of side two of this final quest card, that's it. That's Every, it. Nothing yeah. else is coming. Yeah. Um, so that's a blessing. But boy, oh boy, there are some bad enemies here. I mean, there's a, there's a few that we already discussed last week, so we won't go over those guys again. But let's say, just as you're getting off of your raft, you happen to splash your ankles into the river and watch it wrap around them, but the marsh adder. <laughs> Nobody likes the marsh adder. Oh, my word. So the marsh adder has an engagement cost of 40, uh, contributes three threat, attacks for four, only has one defense, but has seven hit points. 
so pretty beefy, um, and has a forced effect. It says, forced, each time the Marsh Adder attacks you, you raise your threat by one. Now, this is not undefeatable, but if you happen to get this right on that last part of the quest, chances are your threat is already pretty high, and this guy is just going to keep raising it by one each attack, and he's not that easy to get rid of. That's if that's one of the nastiest ones to get at, at the end. I think the worst case scenario is probably that guy and the other hill troll. Well, yeah, or, and I'll tell you what, this these guys are the worst, if you ask me, and that's the wargs. <laughs> you love a warg. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So these guys. Okay, so they uh, have an engagement cost of 20, so they're definitely coming for you. Does it, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care who you are. These guys are coming. And they contribute two threat. They hit for three, they defend for one, and they have three hit points. So they don't seem that bad on paper, but their forced effect can be your undoing. It says forced. If wargs are dealt a shadow card with no effect, return wargs to the staging area after it attacks. So if you are unlucky with your shadow cards, as in you are lucky with them because they don't have a shadow effect, this guy will attack you and then just bounce himself back to the staging area before you get a chance to attack him back. Just nipped at, nipped at you like a vicious dog. <laughs> it's a wog. <laughs> That's superbly thematic as well, isn't it? It's it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Um, interesting thing is that this, this is actually the card which made me start looking up those, um, those action windows we mentioned earlier because it says that it returns to the staging area after it attacks. So that is technically after it has delivered the um, damage tokens to your defending character. Um, And as mentioned, before you add those tokens, there is a possibility to play actions. So what I did with great pleasure is (laughs) revealed a shadow card on the wags, which had no effect, which meant that he was going to attack me and then disappear again. Um, immediately after he attacks and then I used that action window to play sneak attack and I brought Gandalf in and killed him there and then how did you kill him? with the 4 damage from Gandalf but you could do that even if he was in the staging area yeah but I just took great pleasure of doing it there and then (laughs) it meant so much more (laughs) I didn't say it was logical I just said it gave me great pleasure I can see it in your face. Dear listener, um, <laughs> John and I can see each other while we're recording this this, this podcast because of the, the ones of modern technology. And he has a very satisfied grin on this. I haven't seen you look this happy in months. <laughs> uh, that has given you great pleasure. <laughs> but in, in, in all seriousness, one, one benefit of doing that is it did mean that the attack from the Wags didn't happen. So even though I was due to put the three damage or whatever the damage was going to be after the defense on one character, because I had killed him with Gandalf with sneak attack, before the tokens had hit my guy, they didn't actually arrive. Okay, right. I have many questions. So what I propose we do for this one, <laughs> let's make a note of this. And when we have that discussion about the action windows, because these are the exact things which just start to cook my mind my tiny mind a little bit <laughs> well this is this is already 
an epic length show. So let's indeed yeah. let's yes. let's let's bank that one for our action window discussion. Fair enough. <laughs> if you if you'll indulge me, I also have a couple of shadow. Speaking of shadows, sure. On on on. That, so I have a couple of shadow cards that um that I'd like to highlight because there are some nasty shadow effects here, and and these cards know that their 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 main point of entry is shadow because they are named that way. So there is there is one card here, and it's called Driven by Shadow. I mean, it, it does have a... Reg- it's a treachery card, and it has a regular when revealed. Uh, it says each enemy in each location currently in the staging area gets plus one. Um, threat until the end of the phase. If there are no cards in the staging area, driven by shadow, gain such. Okay, fine. That's a typical treachery card. It's not very nice. Whatever. But driven by shadow's shadow effect is horrendous because it says shadow. Choose and discard one attachment from the defending character. If this attack is undefended, discard all attachments you control. Now, I'm not for undefended attacks because this sort of thing crops up. But sometimes you just have to do it. And if it does and you have to discard all your attachments, that's just insanely bad. But that aside... That is horrible. I don't, I've never had that. I think, or maybe I've cancelled it before, but yeah. That's horrendous. I mean, if you've built up a bit, that is the last thing you want to see. But let's say you are defending, as I do recommend you do. Imagine you have a citadel plate on Gimli and... Oh, he could die by removing his citadel plate. Exactly. He just dies in an instant. (laughs) So he's so damaged, the armor's holding all his innards together. And the second he takes it off, it just... It slops out. Just, he dies. Yeah, yeah. it's it's unpleasant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very good point. And to top top that, let's say this does happen. You might just say this is all circumstance, but this sort of thing happens all the time. So let's say that does happen, and Gimli is now dead, and he was your chosen defender. Now it's undefended. Now it's an undefended attack. Oh God! Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Horrific. That so 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 that's uh, driven by shadow, and the sort of sister card to that is pursued by shadow. Ah, this was the other one I didn't like for my deck. This is nasty. I've lost it. Hang on, I've got Why it here. I... If you want, do you want to read it out? Yeah, go for it. The shadow is defending player chooses and returns one exhausted ally he controls to its owner's hand. If he controls no exhausted allies, raises threat by three. Yeah, it's nasty. Now, where I find this to be particularly nasty, it's a bit of a similar thing to the uh, the, the Gimli and Citadel Plate example a moment ago. On occasion, yeah. I would only have one exhausted ally, and that guy would be defending against the enemy that this shadow card was on. So, he would survive the attack by being bounced back to my hand, but then once again, I've now got an undefended attack that I've got to deal with. When a shadow card takes out your defender before they've actually defended, then you end up with an undefended. And that's something that's tricky to plan for always, is that I find. That always if that has happened, it's always taken me off guard before. Oh it's yeah, nasty. No. <laughs> 
it, it's oh, I'm still scarred. It's been a long week. <laughs> okay, so I no, no, so I have I have one last shadow card. Now I'm not going to talk too in depth about this, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to point you to a board game geek thread that actually I wrote about this card um, many moons ago. But it's quite exhaustive because I do believe it's probably the most um, sort of confusing shadowy of shadow cards there can be. And I will will briefly go over it. But like I said, I I will put a link in the show notes to the thread. And I do recommend that you read it through because there I've collected all of the official responses and questions uh, regarding this card. And this is the Wolf Rider. Now, I'm not going to worry about it at all as a normal card. I'm just going to read the shadow. So the Wolf Rider says this. Shadow. Wolf Rider attacks the defending player. That player may declare one character as a defender. Deal Wolf Rider its own shadow card. After combat, return Wolf Rider to the top of the encounter deck. Now, on paper, this just seems like this just turns into another attacking enemy and you can defend against it and then then it jumps back to the uh, the top of the encounter deck as it says but there's a couple of important points like i say well for a start it's unpleasant you've chosen to defend against an enemy and now suddenly you've got another enemy to defend against and you may well not be prepared for that and chances are you're going to end up having to take an undefended attack somewhere along the line um so that on its own is pretty unpleasant um it's the question here going to be about what's the point of attacking the wolf rider no but you can't that's going to be my point is the wolf rider attacks the defending player that player may declare one character as a defender so that much is clear so the basically the wolf rider uh is removed as a shadow card and becomes its own attacker and then you can declare a defender now at that point the Wolf Rider is not engaged with you. And like I say, I do encourage you to go and read this okay. thoroughly. Okay. So because it's not engaged with you, it's just a sort of cause and effect of it being a shadow card which has had this uh, ability. You are not eligible to attack it back. Yeah, fair enough. He just come, he swung, he swung at you and then gone back. But he's still yeah. around somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he's coming back I mean, again. You can sneak attack Gandalf in and get him before he goes back to the the encounter deck but basically this guy causes me so much grief anyway but I do think there are lots and lots of questions and there are also lots and lots of answers so like I say I just uh, if you are interested in this and want to know how you are meant to officially play it do follow the link and read the thread through Um, yeah so that these are the cards which really jumped out at me but um, so anything else that uh um, well, I guess the only couple of things I just wanted to mention in, in addition to what we've discussed is just a couple of locations. Oh, yeah. Oh, but oh, don't don't take me back to locations. Right, it's only Lo- two. It's only two. Don't well, worry. For, for the first, I don't know, eight times attempting to beat this quest for this podcast, I got stuck in locations and I was ready just to throw the whole thing away. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I think if if you're not guaranteed to quest or confident of questing a certain amount each time the locations can be really nasty um one of the locations which you're very likely to come across playing this is gladden fields and that's got a threat value of three so that's going to 
be a severe hindrance for any questing that, that you're doing. And you need free progress tokens to complete it. It says, forced while Gladden Fields is the active location, each player must raise his threat by an additional point during the refresh phase. So again, this was one where things like Northern Trackers and Lorian Guides, once it becomes an active location, are extremely useful to get rid of them. These can build up quickly. I ended up having three of these dealt the last time I played this and had to get rid of all of them, otherwise I wouldn't be able to, to quest. And I managed to do it by being a bit smart about using the, the different spirit allies. If they came out really early, right, right off the bat, it'd be really difficult, I think, to get rid of them. But yeah, I think being able to manage the Gladden Fields card is, is quite key to this uh, to this quest. Um, but then the other one, and this one can be your friend, is... Oh, <laughs> tell me more, tell me more. Especially early on, I think, is uh, Banks of the Anduin. Oh yeah, I never saw it. Okay, this, this, is, this is great. It's only one threat. You need three progress tokens to complete this. And it says, forced, if Banks of the Anduin leaves play, return it to the top of the encounter deck instead of placing it in a discard pile. One time I completed this quest in a really straightforward manner. And the main reason for that was I got double lucky. I drew the Hill Troll first card. Double lucky? Yeah, I got, yeah. You remember this? You might remember this lucky word from a while back, John. <laughs> so what happened was, and this, and this was just like the perfect go. I, I got a Hill Troll straight away. So I didn't, so that was the only one I had right at the beginning. And then I got Banks of the Anduin. So I traveled there every time and then I completed it next go every time and then it went to the top of the encounter deck that meant that every other go I was building up I knew I was getting Banks of Yanduin which is only one threat I knew I could complete it every time because my threat's not going to build up because I've got a hill troll there who's only contributing one and whoever else turns up Um, so as long as you're confident you can sort of complete that every time then suddenly your your threat's not going to build up at all and your staging area is not really going to build up but you can build up your your amassing resource every time you're getting cards every time and if you get banks of the Anduin early you could that can really help you if you're following the strategy of just building up your your hand or which cards are in play before you start engaging that troll and and, and that i was so lucky I was just, it, then it was just plain sailing all the way after that sounds like a dream it was <laughs> so that's so, so that's so sometimes those little sort of tactics stuff can help you i think on yeah i don't think you should rely on it no 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 it's just something it's, no it's just like keep playing until you get that card it's like yeah could be doing a lot of shuffling <laughs> but if that situation does arise yes very very good uh tactic to follow and i think that's that's um that's all i had i think this is a Really, really good quest. I think we already said that the theming of it is brilliant. You really feel like that's the journey you're taking as as you're going through it. And yeah, it's 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 a pleasure. I, I didn't mind going back to play it over, over and over again to just to prepare for this uh, podcast. You know, it was it was real fun. It was a real pleasure going to it. Actually. Well, it it was for me for the first three nights. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, your spirit started to, to, to wane. <laughs> oh, I was being pursued by shadow. Oh, oh it wasn't pleasant. Um, no, I I completely agree. I think this this quest is so beautifully thematic, and it's a fan favorite. I know, and I, I understand why. 
I think what what was great is that this was the second quest in the in the core set. So you you got introduced to the mechanics in the Pastry Mirkwood as we talked about last week, and then this one really throws you in the deep end, but also really shows you how this game is going to work and how beautiful it's going to be thematically. And I think that this is at what point I got sold the game as it, it just it just blew my tiny mind. Yeah, well said. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Um, Okay, well, this has turned out to be an epic length podcast. So what I'm going to propose is that actually we are going to skip on this week's Fact of the Week and our, um, our sharing the love section because, uh, of course, we can just bounce that to next week. There's, there's, no, uh, there's, no, there's no rules. There's no rule book for this game. <laughs> oh, yes, there is. And it can be found online. <laughs> but not for our podcast. <laughs> but definitely not for our podcast. No, I think we'll, we'll just wrap this up here. Um, what I will do is say that next week, what we plan to do um, is a Dolgodor special. Because I don't think it's any secret that the third quest in the core set is controversial, to say the least, yeah. in terms of difficulty. Well, I guess for, I guess for any new players, they probably find that out the first time they try it. <laughs> So we're talking about we're talking about Escape from Dol Guldur, which is the third quest that comes, the last, the final quest that comes in the core set. Yeah, it's rock hard. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's putting it mildly. So we're going to dedicate the whole episode to that quest um, next time, and I think we're also going to tie in a discussion about the sort of difficulty level in general of the quests in the core set, and whether or not we think they are. Uh, too easy or too hard they're definitely not too easy um or whether or not they're just right um goldilocks test on the on the quest absolutely um so there are a few ways you can get in touch with us uh we have a twitter account and that is at late of the rings we have a board game geek thread that there'll be a link to in the show notes and you can always contact us directly at late of the rings at gmail.com so if you've stuck with us through this monster, congratulations and thank you. And all it leaves me to say is goodbye and take care out there. Thank you. Goodbye.